Hello, everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We're back. We are back indeed on this very stormy Wisconsin springtime evening out here. And on a oh, slightly warmer than one might prefer for late May or mid-May. Late May. Wow, I'm getting ahead of myself in Los Angeles. But uh, such is life. The weather is weird and wild and uncontrollable. I understand you all have gotten some actually like wretchedly hot, humid days recently. Yeah. Heat wave ends tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, just like, how about 92? We get we get a cold spring, no spring, and then it's like boom, ninety two. It's like oh, then like ninety two air temperature, which for right. all y'all who have not experienced, uh, you know the heat index shit that happens with Wisconsin style humidity, let's just say it sucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting us uh, on to our uh, our uh, topic for tonight, I think onto should, this uh, screen of life. <laughs> jump in to our first feature of the show. Uh, it's time, once again, for Elden Rungs, where Paul and Moses plumb the highest heights and lowest lows of Elden Ring and its uh, subsidiary features of lore and gameplay and uh, art. I'm liking how this intro is kind of uh, taking on freestyle dimensions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, um, you know, after, after pushing super hard on Apex to, in fact, you know, wrap up... Um, wrap up the uh the season um and uh finish the battle pass like 50 ranks in in, in 12 days which was brutal i did yeah. in fact turn my attentions back to elden ring so um some momentous things have happened uh and you and really? i caught off a little off pod in relation to this right. um not that much ha has mo happened momentously on pod but um when uh last we left our listeners I had two boss fights in the offing, but I was under the impression that both of them had a pre-boss fight boss fight in order to access the mainline boss fights. These being um, uh, not Rodan, that would be in Godzilla. Um, Rodan. Yes, exactly. Close enough. Um, and then in Raya Lucaria, of course, uh, um, the queen, uh, damn. Well, Marika, I think maybe. Uh -uh. No, no, her name starts with an R. Oh, Renala. Uh, Ren yeah, Renala and right. Ronnie is uh, what witch. ostensibly her daughter, the witch. I don't uh, know. believe so. Yeah. Well, let's turn back to that in a moment. The first thing, just as a matter of gameplay, is that I had encountered this this pre-fight with Radon, um, where there was like a bestial warrior or something. I can't remember his name, and then like a big paladin looking dude. So you're talking about like the wolf guy? No, it wasn't. It's not him. It's not the wolf guy. And you never encountered this. Right. And I figured out why you didn't encounter it. Because I went back to the wolf in Ryu Lucaria. Mm -hmm. uh, the red wolf with the sword. Because, you know, this whole world is about giving animals weapons. And <laughs> right. Sooner or later, there's going to be like the, the Elden Ring Bloodborne crossover. And all the animals are going to have guns. But uh, fortunately, we're not quite there yet. Oh, there are kind of guns in this world, though. Um, but after I beat the wolf, that fight disappeared. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went back to Caleb and there was no mist at that door anymore. There was just a big courtyard and a festival and a guy asking if I was ready to go fight Radon, who's dragging his ass around mindlessly out in the wastes, apparently. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I still haven't given him a, him a go. Um, but, okay. you know, 
in terms of Renala, I did in fact my make my way to her. And I had such an like I was talking with you about this the other day, and I was like, I've spent so much time on the rooftops of Raya Lucaria. Yep. And man, I have. I spent a, a huge amount of time. And I have a theory that the extra key that I picked up, uh, because there's a key hanging out on chandelier that's an extra key to Raya Lucaria. Mm-hmm. And if you read the text on the item description, it says that the keys imprint once they're used. So I have like this extra unused key and I'm thinking maybe I should try giving it to the guy in the shack in the little temple hmm. who said it's that not, he couldn't get in. It's not, uh, it's not an imbued stone sword key, is it? No, 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 no. no. Okay. It's a key for the Ryu Lucari gates. The text yeah. reads identically to the other one, except it says that it hasn't been used yet. Interesting. Okay. Cause yeah. I, I went to that guy and I was like, okay, after you know doing Raya Lucaria, I was like, okay, I don't need this key anymore, so mm-hmm. I can just give it to this guy. Uh, but it didn't work. But presumably, that's what this other the key other key, is which for. is hanging out on a chandelier. Which um, so have you tried giving it to him then? No, I haven't. I've just been okay. like, uh, I, I was first of all, I, I was like re trying to find my way, and so I'm thinking like, okay, there's this whole path. You can open up this little side door that gets you up to the rooftops faster. Yeah. And so I'm obsessed with my kind of from soft assumption that it's got to be this path through the roofs. And right. then when I finally kicked down the ladder um, over, over by the other chapel kind of area, I was like, yes, okay, this must be it. Cause now I have a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that shortcut is just because like those, those who are playing casters who are coming here and really want to defeat that asshole with the flaming crossbow are pretty much bound to die the first time. I think, especially as a caster, you're probably very disadvantaged in trying to get him down that hallway yeah um and uh so that's why they put that ladder in there and i go back down there and i'm like after doing three more runs on the rooftops it dawns on me i look off to the right and i'm like going it's right there i can see where i'm supposed to go it's right off there to the right there's like a pathway it's just broken and i can't get wait a second i can jump in this game yep (laughs) and i was just like oh fucking idiot you just have to jump over the banister (laughs) <laughs> so that they can drop a giant ball at you and, and, mm-hmm. and try and roll, roll over you with it. Um, so I think I've covered most of Ryu Lucaria, except for there is an optional boss who's kind of like a dark spectral guy who's by the big water wheel. And it's a boss? Yeah, it definitely gets a boss health bar when you engage with it. Well, wait, I haven't even found that guy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he gets a boss health bar when you engage with him. Okay. He might be a he might be a mini boss. He might not. He might actually, you know, be a be a one. I I think he got a, a health bar. I can't remember. I only tried him once, and then I was like, well, this is clearly not the main path, so I'm going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that brings me to um, the Renala fight, which um, you know I've gotten to phase two a couple of times, but I haven't um, haven't plumbed the depths of it that much. But man, what a great environment! Stage one is such a cool environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'm also like going through stage one going like, there's no way this is too easy. There's going to yeah. be a stage two. It's going to be a fucking fuck me. There's going to be a stage two. Cause it's just like, it's annoying, but it's not that bad. It's just like, it's really quite manageable. And I got to fa- phase two. And the first time I get to phase two, she just laser beams me basically immediately. And I'm like, well, it's time to get back to rolling. Yeah. So the, the environment changed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You, term, you you down her the environment. Uh, Ronnie says some some shit to you about her mom, mm-hmm. and I think it's Ronnie who you encounter much earlier in the game. Yeah. Who comes who and visits you? Ashes. Yeah. 
who gives you the ashes yeah absolutely so i'm like well that's sinister i thought she was maybe an ally and uh yeah it's probably not well um, i'm i'm working for for ranny you are uh yeah okay uh, okay and i'm wondering like when is this going to start locking me out of other quests or it probably already has and i just haven't noticed it probably because uh, she's got me doing some 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 dirt for her uh that's so but, crazy. You're so much further ahead in this game, and it's like you should be at endgame. And I'm sure you could be by, by now if you wanted to try and focus down and just find your way to the last fight. Well, I mean, focusing down is one thing, but getting your ass kicked by a boss, <laughs> you know, a That's critical path boss, uh, as uh, I am now at the uh, at the boss of the capital. Okay. Or at least the second boss. I don't know if it's the boss boss. Well, I mean, um, I, I, I'm assuming uh that uh godfried is gonna be up in there um as as a boss i don't know yeah you don't know because you know because lore wise that's actually available information even where i am in the game right um i equally am just going to go out on a limb and assume that he is not the final boss because yeah. the bosses they are willing to tell you tell you about there's just no way that it will include whatever is in fact the final fight yeah, and there is still a a portion of the map that is un, unexplored, unfilled in, unaccessible, inaccessible even. Okay, uh, interesting. So, interesting. Uh, up to the east or the west? Up in the uh, east, the northeast. Okay, interesting. So up from the plateau. Yeah. Uh, this brings me back to the other grand lift and the, yeah. the question of that other grand lift. So. Yeah, I was talking with future friend of the show, uh, Dan Steger, uh, who is a, a listener and, uh, you know, we had done improv. And a time traveler, and uh, consequently. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he just hit me up randomly and wanted to talk some Elden Ring after listening to the pod, uh, which was super cool. So he nice. came over last night and we chatted up a storm. He is on his second playthrough. Okay. Um, so I, you know, obviously I didn't get any any real new information, uh, although I could have asked for it. But sure. I was able to kind of dance around a few things, and that uh, was it was a it was a delight. So planning on well, having are there any uh, lore sprinklings from that conversation that are uh, amenable to to our collective? It was it was a lot more like experiential stuff uh, than okay. than lore stuff. Um, okay. So, yeah, because cool. he was being really careful. There were even a couple of times when I asked sort of a question and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say. So I'm like, OK, uh, yes, that is excellent. Respecting the boundaries. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, any uh, continue on with your. No, I mean, that's actually that, that brings me up to the present. I, you know, I found some things. Uh, map wise, but I haven't. Um, I, there's nothing else that particularly stuck and it gets a little bit hazy between when I found my way up to the, the capital mm -hmm. um, and some of the, the sites I saw along the way over there versus um, the, the time that I've uh, invested since then. And, um, and especially, as I said, with uh, those, those 12 days of fucking sh metric shit ton of apex playing. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you encountered any uh, liquid hot magma? Like out in the environment. Yeah. Okay. Like it, it's like on the, ground i mean I, I don't know where else it would be in the sky <laughs> um okay um i do feel like i have in two instances come across a part just just an area where there were like pools of liquid hot magma okay 
Um, and one of them was not Limgrave. Um, like north of there by the uh, the cursed castle. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm from with the giant hands. I think it was up in that general vicinity, and it was okay. particularly like stark because it was uh, I think it was there. It was an otherwise green area, and there were these like pools of of hot magma. Interesting. Um, and then um, I could have sworn that there was some by the um, the place with the madness. Okay. Up by up by the lift of Dectus, yeah. kind of. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. where there's a giant like flaming yeah. tower, and it inflicts a debuff on you that eventually does a huge amount of fucking physical damage. And FP damage, interesting. And FP damage, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's brutal. It's quite yeah. brutal, actually. Um, but an interesting area, and I can't help but think that that is something very important lore-wise, the entire mad, mad god or whatever. Yeah. Whatever that little hook is there. Yeah, so. most definitely. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've definitely been plugging away. It's, you know, my, my f- sort of concern of the difficulty of the game being kind of compromised if you overlevel or, or, but like, no. Uh, and I think I even was alluding to this uh, last time, maybe, but like, you were, yeah. It's all hard. It's all really hard. Uh, there's still a boss up in Kaled that uh, mops the floor with me. Um, okay and uh so that oh man i tried dancing with that corrupted tree guardian once and i was like yeah i was like fuck this guy like he's much harder than his than his siblings (laughs) yeah um so no super big progress uh, um you know there's there have been some things here and there that uh you know i'll want to preserve for for you to discover um you know i am working for for Ronnie, and that's been uh, kind of interesting. So, have you encountered her dwelling? No, I okay. have not. Okay, I you're, have not. You're, you're close. You'll. I might maybe need to finish that boss fight first. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe not. Uh, I mean, is it is it in Raya Lucaria? No. Okay. In that case, uh, just scratch that. Although you know, killing her mom might be a a, a trigger. It might that be triggering. It could be triggering for a yeah. lot of people. I mean, hey, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I didn't encounter the Pope Turtle. Yeah. Who uh, I had seen referenced before on uh, probably uh, shitty Dark Souls on Reddit. Um, he is clearly widely loved by the Elden Ring community. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, uh, so that was funny. Yeah. I was watching, um, I forget. I want to say it was Donkey, but it, no, it must have been someone else. But there was someone they were watching uh uh phantoms from other worlds presumably hacking this turtle to yeah. death and was like why are you doing you know why are you yeah it's the turtle pope what are you doing yeah i specifically saw someone say make comment like in in on some meme that was like no he's like the one the one character i don't kill before i go to new game plus <laughs> <laughs> right because because how could you and i just wonder how how have so many people beaten this game, including like not just games journalists or or streamers, but like you know my friend Dan. Like I've been playing this game a fucking lot. Like I have like I don't know how many hours, ninety or or more. And yeah, I suspect you are do doing it. some things that are making it harder for you because of your commitment to like you know 
right you could have blown past some stuff and you intentionally kind of um hobbled yourself to to be like no i don't want this boss fight to be too easy right well and then of course things got harder again yeah that was definitely an earlier game concern what i think part of it could be is people looking things up um which is is obviously legit and however you want to play it um but like in my case boy would i ever kill to have a way to craft the thing that cures rot uh, the right. scarlet, the scarlet rod, and uh, I don't just because I haven't found it yet. And right, you know, and that is straight up. That's the kind of thing of like, yeah, you could look that up, but yeah, yeah. you don't want to. Right. Um, so yeah, working on the uh, one of the main bosses of the royal capital. Um, I feel like I'm still in like late mid game, you know, but just with how big and broad it's all been up to this point. But I, uh, you know, I, I might be closer to the end. You might it, be a, you might be at mid late game, um, but not within the bounds of all of the possible content. Right, like, and, and there's like probably different ways of framing how much yeah. of the the game is left for you for sure. Yeah, um, I guess. Whereas I'm know, definitely still in early mid game. Yeah, one thing lore wise, I'll I'll bring up uh, because whether you've like perceived it as such or not, like you've you've definitely seen it. I have encountered at least one uh, that appears to be like a petrified ruins of uh, a great Erd tree that has been oh, burned, maybe. Uh, oh, okay. And so, yeah, you know, it gets into the cyclical nature of, of the way these games tend to go. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And then I'm not sure if I brought this up before, but just all the thematic uh, implications Everything is about like limbs and hands and fingers. Yeah. And then you have the Elden Ring. Yeah. And like, it, I always assumed it was not a, a physical object, uh, a more of a cosmic force or something. But like, no, we've touched on this briefly though, but it seems to actually have been a physical ring. Yeah. I'm still not, I'm still not convinced. I, I still, I don't know. It still doesn't feel that way to me but but i'm open to that possibility just because of how thick they're laying it on in, in the other the other ways you know right and possibly because there are these giant fingers <laughs> these giant fingers and i have not seen a single spider uh, in the game which is sort of refreshing because that is very much that is an ur enemy of video games you have rats and spiders right but right. they're like no we have these fucking nine fingered ten fingered hand amalgamations that are far worse than spiders far anyway they're kind of spider-esque and... but much worse have you encountered any giant versions of of those yeah okay. in that one cursed place that the blacksmith tells you not to go to okay you go in there and there's small and giant fucking hands yeah. that will just wallop you at least i i've leveled a little bit since then so it might not be mm-hmm. quite as bad but um but yeah i got absolutely crushed by giant hands yeah which is somebody's kink, but not mine. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, not, not a ton to report. I'm still uh, loving it. Um, the music, uh, actually, I did want to mention this. The music is fantastic, and so much of it is very atmospheric and minimal, and I leave it on, and it just is nice. And what I think really did it for me was the music in Limgrave, mm-hmm. I think, I is like the, the weakest of the tracks. And... The way it, the, the track starts is with this sort of cresting 
like symbol, like a mm-hmm. wash <laughs> yeah. of a, and then it has this this dissonant, uh, you know, like a, a French horn or, or something going, and that uh, clashing, roaring cymbal noise makes it easy to track when the track is looping. Looping, which oh, is like yeah. way more often than it would seem. It's only like a minute and a half long or so. Yeah, and I and mean, so, I do feel like that's actually kind of a cardinal sin in terms of um, yeah. atmospheric game game music. Like yeah. you actually really want. You want your loop to be pretty seamless. You don't want you you're sure your player should be able to figure out if they're paying attention, but it shouldn't call attention to itself. And if it's not seamless, then give me two or three minutes of just silence in between. Like even that would would have gone. Maybe I would have never turned the music off if I just would yeah. have gotten some moments of reprieve. And uh, last night Dan was saying that like after listening to the pod, he turned off the music and instantly felt calmer felt more comfortable yeah willing to like explore and take his time and uh, interesting yeah that makes sense that does make a lot of sense yeah yeah. good Um, stuff good stuff indeed and uh we will turn our attention to yet more good stuff with our second feature it's time for game ranks so uh this week for my game ranks i decided it was finally time to rank another Zelda game. Um, so coming in for me in spot number 50, uh, after King's Quest IV, Perils of Priscilla, Legend of Zelda, Phantom Hourglass. Nice. Uh, now I did not uh, play the immediate predecessor of this game, um, but unlike many Zelda games, this one does, is, is, as I understand it, pick up right where the previous one basically left off, right? Uh, it's been a while, but I believe so, and judging by the, the images that I'm seeing here, um, yeah, that's Toon Link. You're on the ocean. You're on the ocean, and uh, you are, in fact, um, yeah, you are, in fact, with, um, oh, what's her name? Tetra? Right. And so this is uh, coming in just on the, on the wake of, of Wind Waker, um, and um, it was released in, what, 20, 2007. 2007 nobody says that 2007 um and i am pretty sure i had my ds light at that point already i think that i got my ds light kind of right before the ds light came out in 2006 mm-hmm. and i think i got my ds light in either late 2006 or early 2007 and this came out in uh, in october 2007 um and like, honestly, this is like in the vein of having acquired the platform, you're waiting for the title kind of situation. I don't remember if I specifically bought the DS Lite so that I could get this game when I came out, when it came out, but I'm, I might have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might have because um, because Ocarina, which I played, you know, significantly after it came out, had been one of the games I played um, before. Uh, shit, before going to New York or before going to Wisconsin? I'm having trouble actually remembering which it was. I think it was before going to New York, which is kind of what launched me back into into video games. Uh, as we've discussed previously on the pod, was that period of living with friends and having the GameCube in the house. But I had my brother's old 64 um, at one point there and played Ocarina. Um, so I was very, very hyped on Zelda and ready for this title to come out when it came out. Yeah. Um, and man, what a delight it was. Um, this is a game that made very extensive use of the stylus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, unfortunately, it might have made use of the the microphone to blow on it at one point, like very, in a very limited yeah. way in the game. But it wasn't 
like game ruining. It wasn't one of those things where it's like forcing you to do this awkward thing all the time. Yeah. Um, I, that was one, like, like if there's one kind of thing that designers for the DS got obsessed with, <laughs> I think was really unfortunate. That was it. It's like, oh, there's the microphone. Let's use this microphone because it's here. Like, no, guys, it's not, it's not good game design. It doesn't work naturally. But the stylus was such a core part of yeah. that platform. Um, and I thought they did a great job with it. Like you would um, set your the course for your ship um, by like drawing on the little map, but that would allow you to then like go back into the, the ship um, and like deal with defending it. It had the whole mechanic where you yeah. had the salvage claw. Right. Um, and that was a huge amount of fun. But then the regular gameplay parts of, of the game were also just really good. It was really good Zelda um, at its core, only with just uh, just kind of a different different interface um, in terms of taking advantage of the DS to, to make it work. I do remember there was a lot of very furious tapping with the stylus for, for combat. Um, right. And sure, I'm sure that my hand felt a little frozen up at times. I have kind of some vague sense memories of like that, like, like you've been gripping a pencil too tightly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I don't remember that ever impeding my, my experience with the game. Um, I remember f- feeling like, wow, these graphics are amazing for this tiny little platform. Um, I mean, the DS in general actually had a lot of that compared to its, its predecessor, which, what, would have been the Game Boy Advance? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that was my take, was like, this was a huge step forward at the time. I, now we look at it and go like, oh, it's cute, you know, whatever. Um, but I also think looking at screenshots of it or looking at videos of it, um, it did a really good job with the art style, uh, working with the capabilities of the platform to make it mm-hmm. feel good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I enjoyed my time with it as well. I distinctly remember like drawing the path for your boomerang. Uh, mm-hmm. Just felt mm-hmm. good. And Delta, you know, I mean, it works. It works great on the big screen as well. But having a portable Zelda that's made for a portable, like it, it's nice. It's a nice thing to be able to carry around with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, I felt like they did a good job with the characters in this game, too which uh, I needed to read the refresher and then it kind of like brought it back to me. Um, uh, captain Linebeck yes. who's like the, the dopey captain who's, right. whose ship you're on. And, you know, he says he's just in it for the treasure, but of course this is like a classic, uh, classic Nintendo character turn at the end where it's like, he, he has his one wish and he's just like, no, I just want my ship back. Mm. He just wants to live his, live his life on the sea, mm-hmm. you know? Um, they take it in a different direction with your with your fairy companions and with them, uh, you know, being these spirits. With is it Poseidon or do they the ocean god? Uh, I'm just trying to refresh myself here on the no the ocean king. He's called the ocean king. He's Poseidon okay. for all intents and purposes. Um, but uh, you know, they they do a nice job with um, kind of calling on the the classic things that you recognize from Zelda, but then uh, refreshing it. This is not, uh, this is not Hyrule. It's the, the great ocean, mm-hmm. great ocean. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And for me coming off of, uh, you know, not having had the, the GameCube ex- cube experience of, of Wind Waker, which I understand is, is, you know, pretty, pretty well-liked game. Um, I just happened to miss it timing wise in terms of when it came out and what platforms were, were in-house where I was. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it didn't really feel like I was missing much, though, you know, 
uh, did it did a just fine job of like setting itself up for for you to kind of come back into this world no matter what the last Zelda game was that you played, mm-hmm. or maybe in theory even if you'd never played one before. Yeah. Yeah, and so and you said this is what fifty three. For you, uh, fifty-four. Uh, no, uh, no, this is ranking in at fifty because I've got 50. those bottom three still tailing oh, right. along there. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a while before, as I said be, uh, in the last episode, I may evaluate, reevaluate the whole Carcass and iOS thing at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be a while before uh, something winds up dropping down lower than that, or Minesweeper, let alone Thexter. Uh, you know, Thexter deserves its place in my rankings. I'm never going to say it doesn't. It's just that it doesn't deserve to be that high up. So right. onwards it goes. All right. Uh, very good. Well, uh, onwards, then we will go to my uh, new rank for this week. It's a, it's a favorite. It's a classic. It is Chrono Cross on the PlayStation. Um, my new number, I believe, 53, because it's going to be coming in at the bottom of my, my list here. Um, this was the first... Uh, PlayStation 1 RPG I had played like I think it was the first like at the time modern JRPG that I had played it was the game that uh, forced me to buy a PlayStation which something I wanted anyway but you know I saw that Chrono Cross was on the way and uh, you know sequel to my favorite game of all time right gotta I gotta get it Uh, so yeah I got a PlayStation and Chrono Cross and you know from that opening cutscene as we're, we're hearing the music too now you know music is so gorgeous yeah I was just hooked um, the game has its flaws and it's been so long since I've I've played it uh, so I have a half romanticized half opposite of romanticized like view of it in my head but you know <laughs> It was a very special, very unique experience. Um, you know, John also played it, and we took uh, pretty different paths, as, as different as uh, as the game would allow. Anyway, in terms of like recruiting party members, there were like fifty party members or so. Oh wow! In the game, some of them were just crazy nonsense, uh, and but yeah, we went we went in different uh, directions there, and. I remember I got to a point somewhat early on in the game when I thought that I had soft-locked the game and my progress and that the game had broken because I just couldn't figure out where to go next. And my oh, like, yeah, okay. game facts, I think, was a, a thing at the time, but I couldn't find anything about it because it wasn't actually a thing. I was just looking in the wrong place. Um, Man, so, that's the thing we've talked about before, yeah. Yeah, this was like maybe 20 hours in, and I uh, just made a new file. I was like, okay, I fucked something up. Something got fucked up. Yeah. I need to start over. And then. And that used to be, that did, for, for anyone who happens to be listening to this and is a younger gamer, that used to be common. Mm-hmm. And not like it didn't happen all the time, but that did happen. Your, your save file would be fucked. And it, it was something that could, in fact, happen. And I feel like that's not as common anymore. Yeah, and yeah, and and definitely for for good reason. And yeah, I was totally wrong. I was just missing something. But uh, you know, great story. Uh, again, um, music. This is the uh, world map um, mm. 
music and boy this just yanks on my heart you know yes yeah. you'll hear kind of the just that sort of mournful uh little violin there um and the nice synthy bass and like and you know apart from being synthy it's like this sounds like a film score as much as it sounds like a video game score yeah and imagine getting a new playstation being used to like cartridges and the stuff and then you get this really nice like cd quality music like yeah that is going to leave a mark on on someone oh that's going to leave a mark <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and there's a bit of fan service you you do because there's not a ton of connection to Chrono Trigger, almost none. Eventually, mm. you do meet the cast of uh, Chrono Trigger, and it's more more or less just a glorified Easter egg. But uh, it, was, sure. it was still fun at the time. Absolutely. Um, but a uh, very formative game, and you know it was off to the races from there. Like Final Fantasy IX was was on the horizon as well, and uh, you know lots lots of good stuff. So. That is my rank for this week. Awesome. Uh, turning our attention then to the next feature of the show, it's time for what I love about Moses. Yeah, Paul. So this week I do have some love. Um, thanks to uh, Radhika Ka One um, on Reddit, who posted about Yoku's Island Express. Oh yes, a game that I have picked up and. I gotta be honest, so far May has not gone well with my theoretical playing five games in May, uh, and I think I was still even one behind on April. So I may modify, gently modify my New Year's resolution regarding games mm -hmm. um, towards something like playing at least three different games that I have not played before a month, because at any time I'm getting behind, so I do still have some makeup work to do this month. Um, but I started Yoku's, and Yoku's Island Express is essentially um, a platformer pinball game in which you are a bug with a very large rock. Um, and you arrive at this island where a bird leaves and tells you that you are the new, uh, you're the new postmaster. It's your job to deliver the mail to everybody on the island. Um, which is a totally fucking bizarre premise. It's outrageous and it's weird. And you're this tiny little bug. Mm -hmm. um, and there are two things I wanted to highlight this week because I'm not too far into the game. I'm probably like three real hours, so to speak, when people talk about like how long a game is and they say, oh, this is a 20 hour game or whatever. Um, like I've probably put at least five or six hours into it, but I'm probably something like three real hours into the game progression wise. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of game ahead of me still. Um, and it is a nice delight. It's not easy. It's actually fairly difficult with its pinball mechanics. And that's actually one of the two things I love about it is that like it does the pinball part of it really well, um, where like feeling obviously you don't have the feel of actually of like a pinball hitting a flipper and you can like feel it through the freaking cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, that's something special. But what it does have is um, the sense of the ball, which is this giant rock that your bug is attached to by a string. Um, hitting the flipper and like wanting to get it off at just the right part in order to get the right angle and speed or like needing to kick it off from the left flipper to get it back to the right flipper with enough speed so that when you, you know, do the last minute flick, it'll carry all the way up to the little thing that you're trying to get it through so that the platformer part of it so that you can get up into another corner of the level. Mm -hmm. um, there are flat areas where you as the bug can push the rock around kind of like a little dung beetle. Um, 
but like most most of the game and and I, that was something that i actually thought was kind of funny because i would at one point i was like god what the fuck am i supposed to do here and i was like oh wait i can fucking push the rock <laughs> i'm not totally stuck just because there are no flippers here <laughs> um oh, i see yeah yeah uh because i'd gotten i'd been like stuck in this pinball-y puzzly part of it for a while and then when i finally got out of that part of it i was like oh shit what do now um but uh but yeah it, it does a really good job it just does a really good job at game physics and I, and i love that the other thing i love is that the bug is like an afterthought and i don't mean thematically in the game but like you as the player are focused on this rock ball happening to have the string the string has no with a bug on the end of it, it has no impact on the physics um and your poor little bug dude who i'm assuming is yoku i can't remember for absolute certainty that they ever told me that that was his name he's just being flung all over the fucking place and you gotta feel kind of sorry for him but because it's like the nature of on the one hand the character build um but also how they've managed the game assets he's got this dopey little like kind of half smile on his face the whole time as he's being put through the absolute fucking ringer being slung around the world attached to this large rock so you know it's delightful it's whimsical and it's reasonably tough but in a totally different way from say a FromSoft game which is part of the reason why i threw it in the mix was like okay i want something that i'm going to play that's going to be on console i want something that is going to have totally different mechanics from elden ring um i wasn't concerned about it being easy i just wanted to make sure it wasn't as hard as elden ring that's yeah. kind of where it, where it fits it's, it's it's a manageable level of difficulty it's kind of a manageable platformer level of difficulty except that the mechanics aren't aren't platformish for the most mm -hmm. part um it just does a great job of kind of like getting the physics to work for you in a in a way that um that makes it makes it hybridize well so mm -hmm. right and i love I've always loved like mail delivery, anything. Uh, there sure. was uh, a childhood book um, and it's still in print and I need to order a copy for myself called The Jolly Postman. And it's absolutely delightful. Uh, it is a book about a jolly postman who goes uh, and uh, through this uh, classic fairy tale world delivering letters, but they are actual letters in these pages and the page looks like an envelope and it has an envelope Ooh. in the page you pull out the letter and you can read it and they're on different types of paper one is like a catalog for the witch shop and like oh yeah you are like eavesdropping on these uh, classic fairy tale characters and cool. uh so yeah anytime you know you think of like animal crossing often in zelda games there is There's some sort mail. of mail thing yeah um so the warcraft had mail yeah it was a nice feature in the game actually so yeah this is definitely on my to playlist um having a game that uh is not as challenging as Elden Ring to have as sort of a chaser or a palate cleanser yeah for me it's but it's curvy. still but it's still reasonably challenging right yeah. it's not like it's not just a easy it's not easy road yeah and um you know that might be nice to have too but <laughs> well <laughs> but and I, that's actually what what Kirby is it's a little too easy and I I thought I would be propelled through it but I find myself losing steam a little bit like i used to want to do like two or three levels at a time now it's like usually just one yeah um so we'll see but yeah having having a palate cleanser is is super nice it's a pretty good thing no doubt mm -hmm. so yeah paul you got any love for us this week i do uh what i love about um the stanley parable ultra deluxe edition oh nice is uh 
the way that it respects the player's curiosity. Um, and this is not a new take on this. That's sort of all the game is about, <laughs> you know. It, it uh, is. And you're reminding me to add it to my long list right now. Yeah, is defying, you know, you uh, come to in this office and you're an office drone and all your coworkers have disappeared and there's a narrator who says, okay, and Stanley went to the door on his left, but there's a door on the right. Right. Well. And you can definitely go on the other door and the narrator will respond and it goes from there. You can hang out in a broom closet uh, for a while and see what happens. Um, and anytime you see this little clue or this little fragment of something, it is worth your time checking it out. At the very yeah. least, you'll be admonished by this omniscient narrator and it might lead to an entire new area that you've never seen before. Um, I feel the need to come back to the game, but I distinctly remember how the narrator will be like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Yeah. Uh, and just sort of chastising you and being like, but still wanting to maintain his facade of being in control, which ultimately, at least so far, he is, because everything has been planned out, even the stuff that's seemingly not planned out. Right. But he'll try and spin it in a way that like, oh, but maybe Stanley wanted to go to the, the break room first and let's see you know and behold that and like he you know tries even though to... what he really wanted to do was yeah yeah um and then yeah the sort of a pseudo sequel layers itself gracefully on top of the original stanley parable um which for some reason i never got around to i think maybe it didn't come to consoles and i i just never never played it on pc oh uh, yeah i was doing a lot of pc gaming at that point in time so um i know that there's a badge i can get on steam for like opening it back up 10 years later yeah which i guess people have uh adjusted their system clocks to cheat uh and then i saw the developer like tweet something about like you know oh what a what a waste what a you know or like you've you've only robbed yourself of the you know yeah. the satisfaction so absolutely yeah no i actually saw that and i was like yeah maybe i should reinstall that game so that i can like come back to it and get that badge but i bet that there's some kind of easter egg in the game for doing it too yeah uh so yeah, uh, kind of short and sweet there. It's uh, all you should really do is just tell people to play the game. Uh, I agree. And uh, you know, that is short it, and sweet, you know. but you shouldn't say too much more about it. And the game yeah. is short and sweet. Yep. 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 Um, so yeah, that is where my love has been going this week. Nice. Uh, taking us to the next feature of the show. It's time for Tell Me About. And Moses, um, I've had this question rattling around for a while to the point where I'm like, did I ask this already? So ah. if I did, you can let me know. Uh, but uh, I would like you to tell me about if you could take two games back in time to your 10 year old self to show them, to show you mm. uh, what games are like now. Oh, to uh, show what games are like now. Yeah, to be like, yo, I'm you from, you know, 30 years. And this is the shit that you have to look forward to. Uh, what what would what would be your your showcase there? Well, like, see, it's weird because kind of my first reaction is like, why would I do that to myself? Hmm. You know, like, why would I spoiler the future of games for myself when there's this whole journey along the way, and there are so many games in between then and now? Um, because we're talking about 1986 for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so like 10 year old moses in 1986 there's so many games that if i had seen 
you know, 2000 games, but I knew what 2020 games were going to look like, I'd be like, I mean, that's kind of cool. But that, that other thing that I remember, that's going to be really cool. That's going to be the real thing. Now, in all fairness, that's partially like not fair because 10 year old me, by the time that it's like 2020 is now, uh, whatever, 20, I, I can do math. Uh, not 2020, 2000, we're talking about, uh, what, 24-year-old me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would have enough of a sense of, um, I don't know, a more, more sophisticated level of aesthetic to be able to appreciate things in context um, than 10-year-old me would. Um, and to sort of piece together the, okay, if this, then If this, what? then that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, oh, yeah, and this will be, like, worth playing in its own right. And let me, um, let me slip one more thing in there, like, if the situation were somewhat altered in that uh, a, a 30 year from now, Moses could come and show present day Moses, what games would look like, you would definitely want to see it. Right. I would, I'd want to talk about it in the pod. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you wouldn't be able to resist it. No, and, I wouldn't be able likewise, to Likewise, I think 10 year old Moses would. Oh, 10 year old Moses would yeah. be all in. It's more a yeah. question of whether, you know, 45 year old Moses would think it would be a good idea to show this to 10 year old Moses. Yeah. Well, it's only um, two games as well. It is. It is only two games. It is only two games. And you get to choose that. Actually, you get to choose them. So if you want to choose like a text adventure to, so as to not give anything away, like that's, you know, totally your choice. Yeah. No, but I think that the whole point would be to like provide a view of the future. To um, blow your own mind. To blow my own mind a little bit. And so this is actually like a game that's come up many times on the podcast and is not a game that came out now. It's a game that's over 10 years old anyway. Um, but I would definitely want to, if I could go back in time and show like the current landscape of games since it's still being played, I think Minecraft would have to be mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I would love to show 10 year old me Minecraft. That would be awesome. Yeah. And 10 year old me would be like, I want this now and for the rest of my life, you know? Um like without without a doubt, um, I think that that would be that would be like a, a kind of a no brainer. Um, a second game, I think it. This is a weird choice because it's not exactly like it's not something that I have ranked. Um, it's not. Um, it's not like. You know, it'll you'll understand the ra- the rationale for it in a moment, but um, I think. Smash Ultimate. Hmm. That is the the current Smash, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Smash Ultimate. Um, And here's why. Because I think it would be really wild in, you know, um, 1986, where you have, like, Super Mario Brothers. It it exists. To be able to share, like, this is where it's going to go. And it's, and you have Legend of Zelda. These games exist, uh-huh. right? But like, this is where it's going to go and it's going to be crazy. Uh-huh. Like, this is the potential of characters you can recognize. Um, only putting it into like, no, look at this four-player madness with these incredibly crisp, brilliant graphics and like this intense combat and all of these cool different things that the characters can do. Um, you know, on, on a different reconsideration, I might come up with some other similar kind of property because like part of me was like, well, if I really wanted to show 10-year-old me where games are at at this point, it would probably be like, well, here's Fortnite. Good mm-hmm. luck, kid. Yeah. 
Well, and uh, I think Smash is a good, yeah, because it's such a, a wide swath of gaming culture. And yeah. most of it actually would be lost on someone from 1986 mm-hmm. uh, because you don't know who Solid, well, maybe, well, maybe some people know who Solid Snake is, but like, you're not going to know who like Wario is or right any of that Star Fox, any of it, you know, you know, who Donkey Kong is, but right. not in any context apart from the original Donkey Kong. Yeah. So, and you can tell yourself like, uh, no, you don't get it. Mario gets to fight Sonic. And you'd be like, who's Sonic? Who's Sonic? <laughs> Sonic yeah. doesn't even exist yet. Why, oh, right, right. No, why does that matter? That. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who cares? But, but no. it, would be, it would be fun in terms of being like, look what Nintendo is capable of doing in the future. Um, and look at like, compared to like the, like um, Warlords, which is on my list as like a four player game that existed back then. Right. Um, in terms of, of like head to head, like the graphics are brilliant and the gameplay is super, super intense. Yeah. But it would still be very available to a 10-year-old to kind of understand what was going on on the screen in general. Yeah. Um, and I think it would really excite the imagination. You know, it would be different if you were asking me about, like, 14-year-old me. What games I would show, like, a 14-year-old in 1990? Yes, I can do math. Um, I'd probably have some different choices. But since that wasn't the question, I'm not going to burn out any brain cells thinking about it. Well, it would be, like, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball, probably. Oh, God. Yeah, well, unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, yeah, okay, enough said. The less said, the better. I mean, that's that's that's, that's, what, that's what I do. <laughs> Here, kid, be horny for a while. Right. Uh, Fun question. If I, had a, if I had a nickel. Uh, but yeah, um, excellent. Yeah, that's a good well, one. That's a good one. So yeah, that's that's what I would go with. It would be uh, Minecraft and Smash Ultimate. I think that'd be a, a pretty good pairing to show 10-year-old me of what, what some of the future of games has in store. I mean, because 10-year-old me would be blown away by, like, VR. But, yeah, like, oh God. Uh, but I think that's less interesting for where we are right now. So I wouldn't even bother. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because a good VR even now is mind-blowing. I can't imagine. Oh, it really is. And, like, like, VR didn't exist yet. It was yeah. a theoretical technology that wasn't mm-hmm. sci-fi, kind of. I mean, Neuromancer was out, so jacking into, the, to, to like, an online space existed as i think neuromancer was out in the by 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 86 i'm pretty sure i think so yeah um if not by 88 for sure but like we didn't even have virtual boy yet right no i like lawnmower man hadn't come out yet Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that it had been written as a short story yet so Mm -hmm. like the technology was just not it was getting close to theorize, to theorizing this stuff, it certainly existed, but like it was, it was not there yet. So yeah, I mean, any VR game would be like fucking mind blowing for a ten year old in the mid eighties. Yeah, but no, I wouldn't go there because <laughs> it's just not interesting to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I, you know, I could probably come up with some different answers if I, uh, you know, had had some some prep time ahead of the test. But, uh, but mean, that's there's... of course not yeah. the pr- point of telling me about. So. Right. There's, yeah. there's, and there's almost no wrong wrong answer either like you know anything would be interesting uh to to yourself <laughs> i mean shit any smartphone game would be mind-blowing right any like good so even like whatever candy crush would be like holy shit this nokia is snake be like i can just take this wherever and play with it okay I mean, we did have the game and watch games at that point, so it, it wouldn't have been like um, completely unheard of. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, to your point, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. 
Well, Paul, I've got to tell you about uh, for you as well this week. Okay. Um, you know, we've talked about how um, how in how in Elden Ring, um, Torrent's double jump is like an outstanding implementation of a jump mechanic. Mm-hmm. But I'd like you to tell me about a game where the jump mechanic was just like, oh God, no, this I am not happy that this jump works the way it does. It doesn't have to be a double jump, but any game in which there is a jump mechanic that was the opposite of the delight that you feel, but more of the like the deep disappointment of like, oh fuck, this part of the, this aspect of this game just did not work well. Yeah. That's that's an interesting one. Um, or it was unnecessary. I'm I'm okay with that too. Yeah, I mean, a few things come to mind that aren't aren't really applicable, but I'll I'll, I'll start there. Uh, sure. With um, Metroid Prime, when okay. We first heard about it being first person. It was like, why are they doing that? It's going to ruin Metroid. Whatever you know. Um, yeah. But the I read a review of it recently. Good. Or actually, I watched a review of it recently that made me want to go back and play Metroid Prime, even though I've never played it. Yeah, there there was those were those were solid. And then I also remember the first time I read about Ocarina of Time and how it would have an auto jump. And that just didn't make sense to me. Like I want to jump when I want to jump. Like it, but no, it's perfect for Zelda. Like that's it actually worked out really well for that game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then uh well, there's something to do with jumping in Stanley Parable, which I, I won't really go into. Sure. Uh, you you do get a trophy for attempting to jump uh, because the, you can't. Because uh, you can't in the game. Um, the the first like real answer that comes to mind is Dark Souls, but <laughs> you know, as I was asking the question, yeah. I didn't think about this when I put the question down. I was like, oh, that'd be an interesting question. There are games that are fucked up jumping, and then as I was asking it, I was like, and of course, Dark Souls. <laughs> And it might have to be that, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a little, a few more revolutions here. Um, Dark Souls with its famously awkward platforming. Yeah. Cause like jumping is, is fundamental. And I feel like if you're going to have jumping in a game, you're really going to do your best to get it right. Like you're not going to skimp on such a fundamental means of interaction. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But there certainly can be instances where it just doesn't feel good where it's like, ah, oh, this jump isn't responsive in the way that I expect it to be. Yeah. Um, I didn't play much of it, but Little Big Planet, the jumps never felt. Oh, they yeah, were very that's floaty. actually a pretty good example. I agree with that. I didn't play a lot of Little Big Planet either. I actually felt like I should have played more, but the jumping slash the general squishiness of the controls was a factor that yeah. um, dissuaded me from that. And then um, Hollow Knight um, sort of... Uh, not exactly jumping, but the game expects you to be able to pogo your way off of enemies with like okay. a, a sobering degree of like accuracy. And the controller or the controls or me, you know, some combination of that was never or your lack of sobriety. So yeah, <laughs> just so squirrely. And and actually, Joanna, who you know w- would always be uh, stone sober playing. Hollow Knight, well, to my knowledge, anyway, uh, also struggled with with the pogoing, um, but that's but the jumping, the actual jumping in Hollow Knight, feels feels pretty legit. Um, what? Because there was a, another game called Out of This World, um, which is sort of it had this cool oh, rotoscoped yeah. art style. Um, 
And I remember the jumping was a little wonky there, but I've, I've just got to give it to the original Dark Souls. Like, if you ask me how to jump in that game, I still don't exactly know. Like, all I know <laughs> is I would hold down circle to sprint and then like double or triple tap circle to jump. And it never felt good. You don't get any height from it. You hardly get any like horizontal movement either. You get basically no height. And there are instances where that bare, like, you know, two pixels worth of height that you do get, you actually need. Yeah. Which Uh, is just cruel. It's just cruel. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm thinking back to the Undead Berg, that first time when you can like double back in those little houses and jump across and there's like an item. Oh yeah, there, and how it always just felt like a crapshoot. Um, yep. And it, the game doesn't ask you to jump much. Much. And obviously, eventually, they they figured it out. Like the jumping in Elden Ring is is sublime, but it's great. It's um, great. the The game does require you to jump once. Is that bed of chaos or in bed of chaos? There's yeah. a non negotiable jump in the game. Yep. Which is that whole fight is bullshit, and of course, it being the only time you need to jump. Yep, you know, is yep. is total bullshit. Because uh, otherwise, there's a lot of drop and roll type stuff or rolling mm-hmm. off of ledges, and that feels fine though. That feels fine if you go in the wrong direction, you fall to your doom because you didn't, you know, drop down where you were where, where you know you should have. It, it it doesn't really feel so punishing. Again, the platforming still feels wonky, but it's um, yeah, yeah. Well, that is definitely a good answer. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it a little more because I feel like there there have to have been games with bad. Well, we, we've had like two corrections on the pod or redactions yeah. or like, um, so, you know, there, there is opportunity for that. I know a lot of people feel the double jump is played out and that was probably part of the impetus for this question hmm. was um, thinking like they did such a good job with the double jump, but I didn't want to box you in to be like, tell me about a game where they didn't need a double jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I decided to make it a little broader. Very good. Uh, well, with that, we will move into the final feature of the show. It's time for Make My Game. Coming this week from Silent Jellyfish Entertainment, uh, which sort of raises the question, it, like, do jellyfish make noise? If you had one on land, does it squeak or, or creak or groan? I don't know. I mean, um, my jellyfish Ash's companion in, in Elden Ring makes a noise when it, when it fires, you know, toxins at bosses. Right. So, you know, there's that. Can they? But what did uh? Sorry, oh yeah, go on. Well, can they? They can't. They can't vocalize though, right? Like they they have a mouth, but they cannot scream. Uh, I mean, I don't think they actually have a mouth, like actual jellyfish. Okay. Um, Maybe I'm know, thinking more of a, a octop octopode. Yeah, version. yeah, yeah. No, all of the um, cetaceans they they actually all have like a mouth beak situation. So mm-hmm. squids and octopus and uh, nautilus. They have mouths, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty jellyfish are really, really old. Yeah. Um, and I am, I'm pretty sure they don't actually have a mouth, um, but that might also be a correction for next week's pod. But more importantly, silent jellyfish entertainment with their game baseball. Wait, whoa, what the fuck? No. Um. <laughs> with their game back force, uh, which, which I, which I do like. Uh, kind of feel like maybe we should take it. Uh, it it's okay. all one word back force. Yeah. I like it. I like okay. it because like the chance if we veto this, the chances of us getting something much worse are right. actually not low. Yeah. And back force could go in so many directions that I think it's worth it's worth the challenge of what the heck 
what the what the back force what the back yeah. force is yeah I, I i concur uh back force i mean so i gotta tell you that although all one word back force sounds like it's like trying to describe like a force like elite force or some shit like that but it also suggests this idea of like a weird physics game that's kind of what that was yeah that was that was where my mind went granted i don't have anything beyond that but that was my initial blush was well uh, we have a direction and it is back as in backwards as in not forwards uh or or alternatively um as in needing to orient to be able to apply force from the back mm -hmm. so that whatever the challenges are that that we're engaging with um the front is not useful mm -hmm. um this is really not much of anything but it's it's all that's coming to mind initially here so what if you had a, a paper airplane and it's flying along then all of a sudden the wind changes and it's pushing against you and you either need to go back then and follow the wind or you need to somehow engineer your plane so that it can still go forward through this back force uh you know. So this is taking the back force in a working title type direction, but I actually think that that could be pretty productive for us. So like okay. now we're, now we're talking about a game um, that's about paper airplanes, mm -hmm. which I like because I love paper airplanes. Mm. Um, and we're talking like a, a very physics-y game and that like from a game dev standpoint, what we're thinking about is the fundamental challenge uh, is, is essentially the wind and that it's going to, you know, it, it's going to be like, there's going to be back. I want to apply a second back to this too. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got the force and we've got the idea that like you got changing directions and, and wind pushing on your plane. And so like in order to, uh, to navigate levels, we'll just put it broadly in terms of levels that you're going to have to go back and redesign or reconfigure how you throw and the trajectory that you put the plane on. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's throw a rewind mechanic into it too. So it's, it's doubling, doubling back, so to speak. Um, so that there's like, you can reset the level right to be like okay no scrap this mm -hmm. like literally you know crunch it up and throw it into a trash can cost a piece right. of paper um and and that like that's one one option of like no just ditch this plane design and this uh trajectory and this launch um but you could also apply a limited amount of rewind which on the one hand you have a limited amount of it um and then at the same time also using it will diminish your you know, possible score to, to perfect the level, you need to use zero rewind in most levels, except maybe some special challenge levels. So that would suggest then that you have a degree of direct control over the airplane instead of it just being the physics playing out. Not exactly. Here's what I'm thinking. The direct control that you have is limited ways to modify your plane once mm. it is underway. Okay. Um, you don't get to, you don't get to guide the plane. You put it on its way and you're trying to use the wind to get it where it needs to go. Um, mm -hmm. and, or, and, or other random forces that might emerge in the level. Um, you know, you could have something like trees or dropping seeds and, um, they drop on, uh, you actually want them to kind of ding your plane in just the right way to redirect it towards, uh, you know, towards your destination. Um, okay. it's pretty kind of outrageous random thing, but what you can do is like, you can pause time. And you can be like, I'm going to use some of my my plane reconfiguration resource to like tear flaps, um, or maybe I tore a flap already, and I'm going to pause to be able to put a flap down or up. 
Um, yeah. And then comes in the limited rewind ability to be like, oh, I really fucked that up. Um, like, I shouldn't have put that flap on it at all. So let me take it back just a little bit, even though I'm not going to get perfect on this level. Um, I still, I'm like doing well enough and I want to get this to complete. So let me like dial it back a little bit um, and, and mod my plane to, to see whether or not I can guide it to, to its destination. Yeah. And then I was thinking, what about having like a golf swing style, like three click throwing Oh, definitely. Mechanic. That feels very good. And also part of that is, of course, drawing back your arm, right? So putting a little more back in your back force. <laughs> yeah, kind of getting back to the the theme there. Back to the um, back. I mean, I've got to tell you, when I was I was originally thinking like quap minded with like a back, backwards walking character, we're very far from there. And I feel perfectly good about that. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I like the sort of ad hoc on the fly readjustments. Like you can make trying, minor trying tweaks. You right. can't like radically reinvent your airplane and you cannot put it in a different direction. You've already put your, you know, you put your, your um, spin on it. Right. Your force into it. Um, but yeah, there is, you know, some, something took a turn uh, and it's going badly now. Pause, rewind. Yeah. You know, make this wider, make this go the other direction and then see, see what Or happens. even just like, it could be as simple as like, um, our, our listeners won't see me making a tugging gesture. Um, Not but even time, just like, anyway. <laughs> sorry, fortunately <laughs> and moving right along. Uh, but, uh, yes. Um, but the idea that you might like pull the wings out just a little bit, uh, to try and get that, um, that aerodynamic motion, yeah. Like, um, or even it could be like, uh, you know, your, your plane is taking a little bit of damage. And so you're kind of like puffing it up a little bit to, to make the curvature, you know, like proper on the wings. Yeah. Um, I say this as if I know shit all about aerodynamics, apart from like having seen diagrams of like wind going over curvature and like, I'm like, okay, that's cool. That obviously is how lift happens. Don't ask me anything specific. Yeah, although I mean, you, you've certainly made uh, uh, quite a, a few squadrons of paper airplanes in your day. Oh, sure. I absolutely uh, have. One of my childhood gaming friends, Noah, and I. One of the things that we did a lot of was make paper airplanes together. Yeah. So, and eventually we got into to white wings a little bit, which were like the the prefab, not prefab, but the kits yeah. where you like actually glue them, and there's balsa, and you launch them from a rubber band launcher. Oh, cool. But a rubber band could be like certain levels could involve using the rubber band launcher. Yeah. Um, or an option to, I'm also thinking like you start on level one with only one plane pattern and it is your classic, uh, like I, I know there's a name for it and I can't remember oh, what it is offhand, hmm. but you know, your classic double fold, you know, you make a, a little triangle at the front and you fold them in again and, you know, fold it down and you just make your dart type plane. Um, and that's, that's level one. And it's going to tutorial you into first on the first level, just, um, you know, launching just getting some practice with that throw you know yeah did you call it a dart uh i said dart type yeah it is in fact a dart it is in fact a dart i mean <laughs> yeah. i did used to own some paper airplane folding books so um so did we so that was probably like kicking around in the back of my head that that was the dart yeah i think we had i don't know if it was klutz i feel like it was klutz you remember klutz i think i had a klutz uh, one of one of the couple of books that i had i think one of them was a klutz like. man was that ever fun and it has the different like some are camo some are like more metallic mm -hmm. and i remember specifically like it had this sh uh, a couple sheets of stickers 
and the stickers were just so precious. You want to make sure you're putting them on to the, the your best the, like planes, the, the good planes. Yeah. And like, it has like a shark grin and eyeballs and little flags and like, uh, man, just the, 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 those childhood highs, you yeah. know, of like, this is the first time you're doing this and it's going to feel better than it will ever again. <laughs> oh, I mean, the first time that you learn the fold to make the trick plane, mm-hmm. which of which there are like a few different versions, but the one where you have to do the or- origami style fold where they fold, you fold it and then it folds back in on itself. Mm-hmm. And the first time that you get that right and you're like, yes, I yeah. actually made this plane and look, it can do loop-de-loops, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, which again, might be a different challenge level might be like, how many loops can you get your plane to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I honestly, um, for a game called Backforce, we've come up with something, uh, that has all these other dimensions to it, but I think it would be really cool. I can easily see the level progression of starting with like your dart plane. And then like on your third level in or something is the first time where it's like, okay, now we're going to teach you that you can modify the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to teach you flaps or we're going to teach you a tail um to to stabilize or or whatever and then like on like the fourth level or whatever we're going to give you a new plane design and now you get to choose little resource allocation plus trying to read the level description in relation to like what type of plane seems to be called for Mm -hmm. yeah uh cool well we've done it again by jove by jove and who was jove anyway is that Um, like short for jovial is he Zeus? Is oh. Jove Jupiter? Oh, interesting. Well, maybe uh, we'll find out next week <laughs> on Paul and Moses Pray, our our theology. <laughs> As we dig into some, some uh, non-Judeo-Christian theology. Yeah. Taking a slight detour. <laughs> um, but for now, we will, uh, whatever the opposite of a, of a detour is, into uh, the final bits here. Uh, with the goodbyes. Uh, Moses, as always, thanks for being here with us this evening. Absolutely, Paul. And apparently we've stayed on uh, the critical path. Is that the opposite of a detour? <laughs> we are not infra. Uh, we are meta or, or, or the other way around. Whatever. At the moment, we're outro, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never never stop playing. playing.